we have a lot of stuff where... Welcome to UFO Undercover with your host, Joe Montaldo. Good evening, everyone. I hope everyone's having a good afternoon, a good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are on our beautiful blue planet. Guys and girls, I know I say this every week, but I love doing this show because we go out across every time zone on the planet. Um, I mean, every time. We don't miss any time zones. Everyone, We have someone listening every time zone on Earth right now. Uh, which, by the way, I want to tell all y'all things ahead of time because I, I do enjoy it out there. And for the people who are staying up and listening to us early in the morning or late in the evening, thanks, guys. I mean, it's, it's really cool because I know, you know, some of our U.K. audience and our U.S. audience, it's between 1 and 3 in the morning for y'all. Uh, so and I know y'all are staying up, and I, and I can see the serving numbers. So I know y'all are listening and enjoying the show. So, again, thanks to all y'all. All my friends down in Australia who I know are taking their afternoon tea time to check us out on the radio. I appreciate that. Well, for all of our American listeners and South American listeners, Guys, it's just always great to have y'all on board. Tonight's guest is going to be um, Nadine LaLeach. And um, and actually, I've been hearing about Nadine off and on for years. It's not the first summer interview, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. There is another archive tape up there that y'all can go find. Uh, but still, uh, I find it to be very, very interesting. Now, also, before we even get started, for anybody who wants to catch up with this conversation, you can go over to alienexperiences.com. Uh, and a lot of Nadine's work, a lot of information about Nadine is right there on the site, so you can get in and take a look at it. Uh, take a good look at the site. That way, when you get into the conversation later on, if you want to put your hand up or call in and ask a question, at least you'll know what you're talking about. Nadine, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, why don't you, let me get you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and why you're involved in all of this. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I, um, I was dragged kicking and screaming into this uh, this research, actually. Um, I am a reluctant experiencer, uh, but I'm happy to say after about seven years now of being actively involved, I'm, I've moved through all of the anger and the fear, and now I'm just, um, you know, absolutely committed to unraveling the mystery as much as I can. And um, so after a very, uh, very startling conscious contact in Sedona, Arizona in 1991, um, that sort of opened the doorway for me and um, tucked it under my bed and hid it away, the experience, for about 15 years until finally uh, in 2000 and, uh, 2005, I just, um, I'd had enough of the experiences and I sought out, uh, sought out some assistance and some camaraderie through MUFON where I met uh, Barbara Lamb and in very short order, within a couple of years, you know, we did the book Alien Experiences together, and now I'm in hook, line, and sinker into this great mystery. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely a great mystery. There's no doubt about that. Uh, as much time and money as so many of us put into this, it's uh, kind of nightmarish to actually think about it sometimes. Now, so I mean, but for for you, you were just going on through life. I mean, you had you you, you knew about this one experience in your life, but you just like I said, I heard you say you kind of buried it, you put it away, you put it night night for a while, and you just went on with life. Now, what I wanted to ask you here is, was there like a nagging sensation? I mean, was there, 
an overwhelming what what was it that actually drug you back i guess is what i'm looking for or drug you into the field is what i'm looking for i mean i know the experience is what it is but what along the line of i guess in time actually pushed you back into that direction because i know a lot of people like you said fight this kicking and screaming because they don't even want to think that they've had alien contact they're like no 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 but i'll let you go ahead well prior to prior to uh, this extremely awake, conscious, physical experience of contact in Sedona. This was in June of 1991. Prior to that, I really, frankly, had very little interest in pursuing such a thing and very little awareness that anything like this had happened to me. Um, so I was, you know, uh, living there. I, I'm, I have an investigative nature, certainly, and I study a lot of things and I pursue a lot of interests. But at the same time, this had a mild interest for me in general, just ufology in general, but certainly nothing that had to do with abduction or contact with uh, ETs or any of that. And I hadn't read anything. I think I'd seen maybe, um, you know, uh, one or two movies, and that's about it on it. And, and I don't believe I've even read a book other than some science fiction. But when this thing happened in 91, um, I was very jolted. I did, uh, I had to leave the area quickly, um, and then during this contact, um, uh, I did have company. I had a, a friend with me at the time who was rendered unconscious during the whole event. But after this, um, I was quite shaken, and um, it affected my life deeply. Uh, I was looking for a rational, trying to find some rational explanation, something that I considered rational at the time. Yeah. And I wanted it to be some kind of psychological or emotional type of, um, you know, event or, or episode or illness or something. But I could never find it over the next few years. And the only reason that I eventually, the only reason I eventually came in, in 2005, made the decision to step out, is because it has never stopped. My, my involvement uh, with this phenomenon has been extremely prolific. My, the number of contacts I have a um, I have a high degree of retention and the ability to pay attention uh, to facts and issues. Part of it's the training in the legal field that I've done working in litigation, um, and I work with databases and facts and analyze things for case trial and that kind of a history. Plus some of the other. Um, um, expansion. I, I've studied a lot of um, sound and light machines, sensory deprivation tanks. I love studying the brain and memory. With a lot of my history, I came back from these experiences over these 15 years with so much information. And I have dozens and dozens of journals and drawings over the years that finally it just hit a point when I could take no more. And um, I... I made that decision. I was tired of living with this thing in the shadow of my life. Well, no, I can, I can totally understand that. I mean, I, I, if I was had a nickel for every time a contact you told me that, I could have retired a decade ago. Um, it's, 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 it's hard for me because I listen to you and I'm listening like I listen to other contactees. And it's hard on me because, you know, I know uh, a lot of the rigmarole that goes along with being contacted. And we're not even talking about the alien part. Just the everyday part of living, you know, it, it's hard to make people understand that contact you still have lives. You know, regardless exactly. of what's going on, they still have lives. They have to get up and you know, walk the dog, go to work, 
take the kids yeah. to school, whatever. I mean, life goes on regardless. And I think that part is hard, the hardest part, because, you know, you're being, you know, once you accept the fact that aliens are, are contact, that's probably the hardest part after that is, is just, you know, adjusting your life accordingly. But now, so I want to go back to the to the awakening experience, to the contact that uh, woke you up on this. I mean, what was it? I mean, what, 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 what? Let me stop here for a minute before I run around in a circle here. Um, what I wanted to know was, what about that contact? I mean, what was it that just jumped out initially and grabbed you? Uh, I mean, other than the fact that it was a contact. You're first, first one, yeah. You're first, in you, Sedona? Yeah, in Sedona, yeah. I, I was kind of curious. So what was it you initially seen that got you, um, well, kind of... Well, I was... I, 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 well, actually, in Sedona, I was completely unprepared for this, and we were camping in a very remote area, and uh, I had gone with a longtime girlfriend of mine, and she and I were just going to do some camping and red rock climbing in Sedona. We were in a van. We were just outside the main area, the red rock area, and um, in a very remote area, okay? And we were tired from driving all the way from California, so we decided to pull off onto a long dirt road, and we pulled off into a very um, old remote kind of camping area without any kind of amenities to it. I think there was, you know, like a couple of picnic tables, a few empty um, dirt spots to, to, to put your uh, tent out, yes. and um, that's about it. And there was a big creek running alongside, and we pulled in somewhere around 9 o'clock at night, and it was dark, and we set up. And I had a creepy feeling that I w- we were being watched, although there was nobody in the area. And again, we were far off any main road. Anyway, I went to bed in the back. We had a couple of sleeping bags thrown in the back of this van, and it was a a uh, hatchback van, uh, Toyota hatchback, and it would slot, the van um, hatch slid up at the back. And uh, I went to bed, she followed afterwards. We left all of our camping goods, material, food, everything was sitting around on the ground outside. We'd set up a little table and chairs. And um, the next thing I know is I'm sound asleep, she's sound asleep, and, and I hear a click. I sit up and the hatch goes up, and I'm sitting up in my sleeping bag, and the light goes on in the van. The hatch is up, the light goes on, and I'm just sitting there. And I can't see. My eyes are trying to adjust. very black outside. And the next thing I know, there is a hand reaching in the van towards me. And it's not any kind of a hand I've ever seen before. It has three fingers and a thumb. It's grayish in color, and it's a very long, skinny arm. Well, you're talking about when you were mentioning the fact that, you know, how difficult it is for us to incorporate this into our life. You're absolutely right. Because what happens here now, first of all, this wasn't something I had a reference for because I had not been studying this. I wasn't thinking about aliens ever in my life. I never contemplated. I never researched. I never read a book. I was off in other areas uh, with my exploring and research. Anyway, so this arm and hand comes out to me. This is the difficult initial stage for anybody. The shock is beyond trying to wrap your head around this and your emotions are there. So here your body is filled with adrenaline. I was scared probably more frightened than I'd ever been frightened in my entire life. My body is filled with adrenaline rushing through. I'm breaking into a sweat. My heart is about to jump out of my my chest. And I am looking at this thing, but at the same time going, this this cannot be. This can't be happening. This can't be happening. Um, so that's the initial shock I think so many of us experience, especially when it just 
seems to happen. Of course, looking back in time, I realize now that these uh, there were contacts that occurred prior to this, but they were buried in my memory. Uh, in this instance, it was so it was so present, alert. I was so awake. Next thing I know, I was um, there's like a couple of seconds of a blackout there. Next thing I know, I'm standing at the end of the van. And I'm paralyzed. I cannot move my body at all. I'm standing up stiff as a board in this little nightgown that I'm sleeping in. And I, and I have my hand straight at my side. And on each side, there is what I later came to understand is referred to as a gray. Now, I didn't know anything about grays. I wouldn't have even known how to de- describe it back then except to say there was a small little person that looked like a child that had gray skin and a large head. But I didn't know that later on, you know, later on I realized it was referred to as a gray. Anyway, there's one on each side of me. I can't raise my head up. Um, and yet I feel there's a presence. I know there's someone else standing in front of me. Very tall, very large. A sense of a masculine um, uh, figure. And we stand there for a couple of seconds, you know, five, six seconds. And the next thing I know, I can feel myself being raised up off the ground straight up is though I'm being levitated three or four inches up off the ground, and I'm barefoot initially. And we begin to move forward. And I, can, I cannot raise my head. My chin is almost pressed down to my chest, but I can glance side to side. And as I glance side to side, I can see the tops of the heads of these little characters, one on each side of me, and I can see them off to the side. I can see that there is, I can see a little of the glow of the light from behind me from the van, and I can see a little uh, glow ahead of me, a very bright glow as I look forward with my eyes, even though my head is tilted, I can see an extremely bright light it seems like we're heading towards. Then the only thing else that I can feel before I am rendered unconscious is I can feel something hitting my face as we're moving along. And we're moving along. And by the time I'm still, before I become unconsciously traveled, I don't know, maybe 10 feet, and apparently we were going into the woods, and something's hitting my face. The next thing I know, and this is something that's in physical experiences for me, um, there tends to be a real, uh, a, a hard return to the bed, to the floor, wherever I was taken from, um, and it's like a big whoosh, boom, and that's what happened. I was sitting in the van, I knew, boom, I'm in the van, and I hit hard. It's like, almost like I dropped onto the top of my sleeping bag. And I'm just shaking violently. Um, the light is off in the van. My friend, um, Pamela, is asleep beside me. And I am literally in a state of hysteria. And there's nothing else going on except I'm sitting on top. And uh, those first, you know, those first few minutes were, were challenging, to say the least. To say the least, yeah. Yes, to say the least. And I was, I was beside myself trying to find a way to, you know, find a, find a way to look at what just happened to me. Because I knew, especially since I'd been working in a lot of different mind states, some of the studies that I do have to do with different states of consciousness. And I'm very, I was very, very aware I didn't have a dream. I was very aware that I didn't have uh, anything that I was familiar with that I'd studied before. I didn't have any consciousness. It was real. I could not wake my friend up, and I tried. And that was the, I, the return time was around 3.30 in the morning, and it got light out about 10 after 5, something like that. So I sat there unable to get this woman to budge. She would not wake up. She was so out cold. 
and finally it started getting lighter around a little after five and she suddenly woke up. We went outside and um one of the most, you know <laughs> prominent parts of been outside, you know, we'd left all of our belongings, our backpacks, our clothes, um we weren't concerned because of where we were located. So we had all yeah. the food out, nice material, nice camping material, everything. Everything was there except anything that belonged to me. My clothes, my shoes, my towels, anything that was mine was gone, which is very odd. And uh, anyway, that was my that was my initial experience into the phenomenon, and um, that began that, that absolutely escalated from there. And continued. Now you know why we call it the. <laughs> well, now you know why we call it the awakening. <laughs> Yeah, Not to be well, rude, that's, that's why we call it the awakening. That it's is kind a, of a very shocker, rude awakening. <laughs> it's kind of a shocker. Well, it's, it's easier when you when you if it's easier when you like if you would have identified some of the stuff in dreams and you would have hooked up with one of the researchers, the awakening would have been easier. But ET is kind of rude about when they need someone to awake. You're going to wake up one way or another, unless you just can't handle it. Uh, if you can't handle it, then that's a whole different thing there. And I think we just lost. Uh, Nadine there. Yes, well, while I'm talking to y'all, we're going to call Nadine back. Uh, don't ask me, guys. Phones are weird lately. Uh, a lot of conversations I don't think people want us discussing uh, around lately. But anyway, it's dialing, it's dialing on that. But that's when y'all always hear me say about the awakening. Now you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it is kind of rude sometimes in the way the ET just drop and you're just awake to the world. And you're like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> What's up with this? Yeah. Uh-oh. At nine four nine. Uh, we'll try again. Nine. I, I, I can't be giving a phone number out on the line there, people. Come on now. <laughs> we can't be having that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Y'all got y'all pins out real quick. Let me write this right now. No, no, shame on you, people. Shame on you. Uh, we'll give it another chance. If we can't, we'll take a quick break, and I'll see if I can't get her in on our cell. Uh, well, I know you got it, Goofy. I'm talking about the rest of the world. <laughs> Oh, wait, there it's ringing now. Maybe we'll grab her this way. And, uh, Hello? Nadine, we got you back? You got me back. <laughs> that was weird. You just, uh, you were talking and all of a sudden you was gone. I was like, uh-oh, where'd she go? Oh. <laughs> anyway, we got you back. That's cool. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nadine, uh, she got abducted there, but they brought her back. Okay, and no, don't take that out of context, ladies and gentlemen. Start writing to us. Uh, that was weird. That really was. That was weird. Uh, all I said was you, you said something I was saying about it being a rude awakening, and poof, <laughs> she was gone. Uh, lately, you know, we've been doing this contact you special. You're guest nine on the special. We're doing 20 guests. And, uh, you know, uh, most of the guests are, are well-known contactees. Some of them are not. I mean, there's a few of them that we're bringing on that are not all that well-known, but uh, most everybody's pretty well-known. And then we're doing the panel shows at the end, and, I gotta say, the, we've been getting an enormous amount of unwanted attention. Uh, not bad, just unwanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not really bad attention. They just, they just seem to be um, curious, or, or mischievous might be a, a better word. We'll You're be saying as a result of, of of this kind of alignment, oh, this many. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's not the first. I mean, we've done this in the past, and we expect. X amount of trouble when we're doing these type of shows. We really do. I mean, we we expect some things are going to happen, and I, and I've learned a long time ago because I've been doing I've been doing the radio side of this for almost ten years, nine and a half years. It's uh, uh, I've learned when you hit on certain topics with certain guests, you're going to always have at least one or two or three interrupted phone calls. It's just 
you know, we had Thomas Reed on last week discussing his case, and uh, it took the first 35 minutes, we couldn't even get him on air. His, his, his phone just kept disappearing. We went through three different wow. phone numbers. He had three different phone numbers we were using. My audio was clear and perfect the whole time. Everybody else's audio was clear and perfect, but... I've never, I've never had a disconnect like this before. It's just weird, but anyway, we're not going to worry about it. It's just, you know, it's their friendly way of saying, hey, we're listening. That's how I look at it. You know, we're paying attention now. Uh, before that, they weren't listening. You must have said something about when you woke up that caught their attention. Probably about that. You know, I was thinking, well, no, I was thinking the way you said about being dropped back in the seat. It, really, literally, I've heard, I've heard of contactees, or I should say abductees, uh, really describe this a lot. You know, when they're, it's, it's the uh, shock of reality, the shock of coming back. To reality, I guess, or, or our reality, I should say, and uh, and they describe it. And a lot of times it's harsh. Now, of course, you know things change in contactees and abductees lives, according to whatever they're doing with the ETs and how much ever they're, uh, you know, how much ever they're involved with whatever's going on. But let me ask you this: I mean, for you personally, now that that's a pretty good experience to wake you up. You know, you're 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 in reality. You know, this is going on. Now, you're going home, right? What are you telling yourself? I mean, let's say, this, let, wait, let, let me do this. Let's skip ahead four or five days after what happened to you. What's going through your head now? Are you like, oh, no, are you, are you convincing yourself that this didn't happen? Or are you just putting it in a deep, dark closet? Or, or are you talking to anybody you'll hear it? I'm, I'm curious. Well, first of all, I'm not telling anybody. Um, I'm not about to tell anybody. Uh, my one what friend, is she's my one confidant. And I told her only a limited amount, uh, but she was very supportive. I had told her that something had happened to me that night. I knew I had been removed from the van. Um, I'm not sure what it was. But see, in, the, in those first few days, it was difficult for me to articulate it. Yeah. Um, I, my mental process was focused on finding some other solution, okay? Yeah, some other By the time I went back to my regular life, Another, I was looking for relief because I had just mentally gone over this thing so much, so long in that week following that I just wanted to shut down. I wanted relief, you know. And, it, and whether you're dealing with something like this or some other kind of, um, you know, new awareness you're experiencing as a human being, even in your regular life or your childhood or dealing with, you know, whatever kind of issues you might deal with, a lot of times that's what we do. We disassociate from it. We put it to rest. But that oh, yeah. little bugger is going to keep coming up. That's why, Whatever so many you know, that's why so many contactees have alcohol and drug problems. They, uh, exactly. They, yeah, yeah, they're, they're still trying to hide it. If you are a person, right, and if you're a person who likes to live in truth and who, is, who, who has a certain kind of lifestyle like I have, um, I, I leave no stone unturned. I want to know reality, what's really going on. It's very important to me. And... Uh, you know, the reality, the more that I see there is to see. Uh, but I did tuck it away, and it would come up because I'd have another experience. And so it, it, it was in the first few months, that was, in, um, that was in June of 91. By December, I was obsessed with moving to the southwest, moving out into the boonies, obsessed all of a sudden. So by December, the urge had grown so strong in me I couldn't control it Rent, got an airline ticket flew out to uh, um, Santa Fe New Mexico by myself didn't know anybody out there 
And within a minute, I was out there. I, I got to move here. Just got to move here. Flew back home. And in seven weeks, sold everything, packed up my car, my critters, and off I went to live in New Mexico. And, of course, in a very, you know, two minutes, you're outside of uh, town and you're in remote areas. So by the time I moved to New Mexico, which was in uh, January of 92, and a year later, you know, um, like seven months later, the experiences began to escalate unbelievably. Fear began, I mean, I was now checking closets. I was certain I was being watched. I'd find myself out on lonely roads. I would... Uh, reawaken in different places. I started having missing time. It was so prolific when I moved out into that area. Um, that um, bottom line is, as time would progress, I was able to less able to deny the experience. So at some point, I finally said, "Well, the only control that I seem to have over this, I wasn't ready to tell anybody." Um, I suppose it's an ego thing, intellectual ego or whatever. I didn't want to be judged or seen in a certain light. So I found my power in journaling, and I began to record and became determined over the next few years to try to stay awake and conscious as much as possible and to try to gather, you know, um, an investigator and gather information. So I began to fill volumes and it also uh, it gave me a tremendous emotional relief to have the journal to tell the truth to. No, it's good therapy. I mean, the journals are oh, excellent yeah. therapy. I tell this to contactees all the time. It's one of the very first things we tell you, anybody who's waking up, keep a journal, keep a journal, keep a journal, keep a journal. Well, we I like to tell them, keep a journal, and then go back through your journal every six or seven months. You'll be amazed at how much of that stuff actually starts making sense after a while. Because um, there's all kinds of things in there, because, you know, I, some journals you'll read and then they'll be, you know, it's, it's disjointed in the fact that sometimes they're, because of the type of contacts they're having, the, the journal might be disjointed, but then when you go back across it over six months and you're reading front to back, then you're noticing a lot of stuff does actually go together. It's just the way 13 you patterns, that. making connections, yeah. exactly. No, you do, you do. You, you see it all up in there. And uh, that, that's, that's why we tell everybody to keep a journal. And it's, it's the easiest way. It's, it's good therapy for yourself. Um, you know, just to write it down, to rehash it, to rethink it, uh, to put it in there, to reread it, and it's good therapy to talk about it. I know a lot of contactees are scared to come out and talk about it, but that's why we have online support groups where you can come in. Um, you know, nobody has to know who you are. You know, you can come in and just talk. It amazes me how many people actually come do it. Uh, they just come in right. and they talk and they tell their stories, and, and nobody's going to ridicule them because the rooms we don't allow for that kind of behavior. So. Uh, it's a good, safe environment to let people talk. And then there's people like yourself and me and a lot of the others who are actually out speaking uh, aloud to the press about this, which is right. takes a little bit more will, I guess, would be a polite way of saying it. Yes, uh, it does. To to, but, you know, we're driven. Think about it. I mean, I, well, you know it. I mean, you're doing it. You know you're driven. Uh, what well, kills me about all of the process. It happens over time, that process. You've been involved a long time. I've only been out there seven years talking about it. Uh, but once, you know, I decided to, to put my experience into a book and, and, and really, really address it in this way and, and then started talking about it out in public, um, one of the really interesting things that started happening, I, and um, I know you know Melinda Leslie, and I didn't know her at the time, and she deals with the MyLab issues, um, the uh, abduction by military of um, abductees. I um, I never had an experience like that until, not to my knowledge, until 
I began speaking out in public. Yes, it was a, after after yeah. Once the book was out in '08, and then I started talking about it and done a, did a little radio, a little TV about it, talking about it. All of a sudden, one day I have a my lab experience. Yeah. I have an experience yeah. where all of a sudden it's military. You know, it's it's, it's really weird you bring that up because uh, originally when I interviewed Kay Wilson and Mia Haley. That's the impression that I had got. And when I met Melinda Levick, Melinda and I are pretty close these days, um, I had told her this. I said, Melinda, so what do you think? Because, you know, she was way more in the middle than I was at the time. And, right. uh, and I said, well, what do you think? So we both got to digging it, and we have a much larger abduction load and mill load than anybody else does, so it was a little easier for us to catch up faster. But um, it's true. It's, it's just the way it works. Um, I answered and, almost 100 percent of her questionnaire right. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> she's, she's, she's great. Um, uh, you know, we we her and I keep ties. Matter of fact, last time I went on Coast, I invited her to come on with me because we were doing no apps. Uh That's what the Coast had invited me on. I had just done a, a remake of the Betty and Barney Hill case for the X Conference, and Georgia invited me on to come talk about it. So I brought Melinda on with because her and I were working some joint projects at the time. And uh, but the Millet thing is an important part of this, and and it's important that you brought this up because most everybody I know who's been Millet seriously Millet, not this the uh, Millet where they've taken you, wanted to ask you questions, want to know what you're doing, do you know anything about their technology, whatever they're doing, but they're, they're pretty serious about it. Those are usually people who like Kay and then refer to themselves as communicators. That's usually people who have themselves out there who have a much larger retention of knowledge than the average contactee yes. or abductee. Yes. And that's why they're interested. Uh, granted, not everything in their heads is right, but still, you know, the government exactly. knows not everything in their heads right, but they know they have a much larger group of knowledge, so that's who they're interested in. So if they can get you and Kay and Leah and, and Jim and a few others, then mm-hmm. they're getting a better piece of the puzzle. See, that's what we do. That's what iCard does. We, we, we're the, we're the totally, master puzzle. Totally yeah, oh, we're the... Yeah, we're the master puzzle keepers these days, but um, that's what that's what the mill labs are doing. So at least now we know what to look for. We know that sometimes if you're in the military, you may get mill labs, but I think that's more right. of a convenience than it is a necessity. And then most of the time what we find is when you become quite popular or very vocal about what you know, you'll tend to get mill labs. And, and I, I mean, it makes sense to me why they're doing it. I mean... You're the one out there saying, hey, well, I know this, this, and this about the aliens, and the government's going, well, I wonder if she really does. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, yes, and it's all in the presentation, too. It's all, it's the way you're presenting things. I can, you know, I know I've met a number of people now that do not have a lot of conscious recollection and are not sticklers for facts and information. Some of us are, some of us aren't. So it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense that those of us that are out there and, you know, determined to be on a, you know, I have my own mission during these experiences, and that is to gather as much information as I possibly can and bring it back with me, regardless oh, of whether okay, it's a physical sure. experience or any other of the other types that I've had. Yeah, well, you should always be trying to, that's the, everybody who's doing this should be trying to gather information. You know, one of the things we teach contactees is how to pre-program their brain at night so that they can they can do direct questions. It kind of irritates ET when you do this, by the way, so just be warned ahead of time. But you start programming yourself for specific questions, and you do a deep programming after three or four days, five days. The next time they zap you, you subconsciously transmit the question. You don't even realize you transmit it. 
most of the time they don't even realize they're answering it until after the fact. And then one of two things usually happens. Either they're kind of like, wow, did that just happen? Or they're very, well, we'll just say mad <laughs> and leave it at that. I've, um, had little, I've had very little response to any of my questions or my in, my any of the interests that I've had or any of the questions that I have posed. Um, I've had very little demonstration that there's been seven species that I have that I can recall interacting with and I have never ever had them generously offer any kind of information. It's always yeah, about their own agenda. Yeah, yeah well, it's always about their own agenda because that's what all this is about. That's the biggest mistake that most people make about this. Humans have a tendency to want to make this about us. This is not about us. This is about them. Anybody no, making not. that mistake, you know, is going to be rudely awakened. Uh, you, you know, that unfortunately for us, uh, they've been here a really, really, really long time. This, this isn't something right. that started recently. Uh, this has been going on in family lines for a very, very, very long time. And, and to put it bluntly and succinctly, ET has already disclosed to everybody they want to disclose to. They're disclosing the contactees every day and abductees every day. That's the only people they're interested in knowing. As far as the rest of the planet goes, and I, I hate to say this, I don't think they really care one way or another. I don't think they really even consider the rest of the population on this planet. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like you would consider the ant pile in your front yard. Uh, they don't, right. they don't really, they're not, they're not, you know, they, they may allow the government to do this and that from time to time just so they'll stay out of their own business, but they're not, they're not really interested in the rest of the part. They're interested in the no, contact people. I, think, really I agree with you. I agree with uh, you. Which is scary, too. Have I mean, their own research, that. and that's all that they're focused on. Yeah, and that's all they're focused on, and, and whether that, Pans out good or bad. I would say for the contactees, it'll probably pan out okay. For everybody else, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, I'm up in the air on that. You know, I really am. I mean, some research suggests that, oh, and some maybe not. So, all I can say, and this is from just watching ET and nothing else, this is observation. Uh, they haven't wiped us out, and they haven't uh, saved us, and they haven't made us this ingenious species. So, for me, it, it really comes down to it's not so much about us as it is about them. And we're part of their agenda. We may get some side benefits, such as empathic and telepathic and clairvoyancies and things along that line. But in the end, it's about them. Uh, and I, I'm just want to know what it's about. You know, why you've been here for a hundred thousand years or two hundred thousand years? Why did you pick up Nadine and her ass? Why did you wake up Nadine? Why didn't you just leave her as an abductee instead of making her a contactee? These are the things I'm really interested in. For you, what do you what, what is it you think that they woke you up for? Because you were definitely woke up. I mean, well, you were definitely were... Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I um, uh, as I look back on my life, I can recall, uh, for example, here's one scene I can recall. I'm about 10 years old. I'm waking up. I grew up in the Midwest in a little small town in Michigan. And I recall waking up one evening in the summertime walking into the living room, and um, I had only one other sibling, a brother, my mother and father, were in the living room, and they were sitting on the couches, and they were unconscious. And the television was blaring, and the front door was open. The lights were on in the house. It was dark. It was nighttime. And I remember that particular event, walking out there, and them being unconscious, sitting I say unconscious, but let's say they were in a dazed state, sitting slumped. Yeah. I never knew what that was. Never understood what that was. 
And I was about yeah, 10 at the time. My brother was probably 16. And yet the front door is open. And I just vaguely remember about somebody being at that door or coming in that door. And um, it's only many years later that when I looked, you know, obviously when, once I was involved in, in this situation actively, that I had been able to look back on experiences like that and say, wow, okay, this has been happening. I've just been unconscious to it. First of all, I think that... In my case, I can't speak for anybody else. I think that um, why did why did they why did they uh, abduct me in that that absolutely blatant open manner the way that they did in Sedona in '91? Well, my life had evolved, my emotional, my psychological awareness, my intellect interest, things I was involved in, had had awakened to a certain level that had never existed before. I had been very involved in a lot of things throughout my life. I'd been involved in a life, I'd had a very challenging youth and early years, extremely challenging, that required me to really aggressively address many, many different things in my life, many levels, many emotional states, Uh, I have a lot of therapy, I was in programs, I was doing a lot of work. Well, somewhere around there, about that time um, in my life, I had come to a a place of what you could call resolution in many ways. And my journeys of self-awareness had caused me to start, I used to go to Ann Arbor, uh, um, one of the um, University of Ann Arbor, and I used to uh, go to the facility they had there where they had sensory deprivation tanks. And you would go in these tanks and uh, experience a detachment from all of your senses, and um, you float in you float in these tanks. They're very high tech there, and you spend about 90 minutes there. And there you lose you float in 500 pounds of salt water. It's it's high temperature, and it it in these tanks you can have accelerated learning. You can have all kinds of experience. Um, in these tanks, states of consciousness. Anyway, I'd done that. I'd used sound and light machines. I had worked with a number of things with my mind to help me to um, be able to retain information, to access my brain in different ways. I always had a fascination about that. So by 1991, I'd had a lot of really interesting things I had done, studies and exercises and practices. And I don't know if I don't know that it was instigated on their part. In other words, they thought, well, now we're going to wake her up. I think what happened is that I was ready to be awake. I think that I had developed my consciousness, my awareness personally in my own path to a place and a level where I wasn't going to stay asleep anymore. You know, we evolve, we evolve in the, we human beings, you know, in our life, if we're lucky and we're really aggressive about personal growth, we can evolve to different levels, um, and, um, develop abilities. We can develop parts of our brain, uh, psychically. And I think I just had gotten to a point where I was a probably, a, a relatively aware human being about my own self, my own processes. I had a great deal of self-awareness. And I think when this happened, it may never have been an intention on their part that I be awake. But because of who I had become at that stage in my life, and as aggressive as I had been about personal 
um, development, um, I think that's why all of a sudden, bing, the lights went on, and I was present. Well, that's I got a good, good bit to do with it. I mean, that's you know, as far as we can tell, uh, your your own awakening experience in your own life helps. And the fact, somewhere along the line, what they started doing is they started testing you to see. Um, and it's probably not it, it, under hypnosis, and it may even come up in conscious memory one of these days. Somewhere they started testing to see how well you could handle this in an open form, meaning and being open about it. They they started letting you remember more and more and more. And they may they may have even gone back a few times and wiped it and done it again and wiped it and done it again because it's it's very funny about who they let out because uh, literally there there are tens of thousands of contactees. There's only a handful that actually publicly speak. Out of the three, out of the probably ten or fifteen thousand that have contacted us over the last three decades, I can only think of maybe two dozen that publicly publicly speak. And out of all the rest that none of us know nothing about or, or will ever know about, uh, you've got to wonder why it's such a select few. And I really do think a part of it is that you become conscious enough that when when you're dealing with them, you can deal with it. Uh, it doesn't. Right. It, it freaks you out, but you don't go insane. You don't end your life over it. You keep your everyday exactly. life going. And, and matter of fact, most of us adjust our lives according to them, like becoming self-employed or something along those lines so that we can even push these agendas. I shouldn't say agendas, but push these knowledges uh, and, and research more. And it's, it's really weird. See, for me, it's, it's, it's easy because I see it every day. But for anybody listening to the radio show, they're going, oh, Joe's nuts. You know, Joe's actually been seeing it for 30 years. a little different for me. You know, it's it's just today alone. I mean, you'll be contacting number nine. I've talked to you today, uh, so it, it's it's a it's a little different for me. Three of them were famous, uh, four, six of them are not. But still, um, it's a little different for me. And I and I in listening to you speaking, and I said this with, with with Thomas last week. I hear this over and over and over uh, from this group of people. So now the the kicker is, what color eyes you got? What blood type do you have? She goes, damn, that's a personal question. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't have to answer mine, you, okay? I ask everybody that because it's part of a blood type study we're you doing know, right didn't now. didn't I, I? Yeah, I, I mean, I, was, I don't know if I that was something or not. No, no, no. I thought you submitted it. I thought I, I remembered it, but I, I was going to ask you anyway because uh, um, I'm just curious on the air. But you don't have to answer. Some enough, people are, I don't know my own blood type. Of all the things that I know, I do not know my own blood type, to tell you the truth. My eyes find are that out. Find that out for me one of these days. Just email it to me. You ain't gonna, you, the reason why is I, I thought I had seen it, but I'm not 100% sure. The thing about it is is we've noticed now they are definitely making, are, are definitely messing in specific bloodlines. It's not that every bloodline doesn't get abducted because everyone does, but uh-huh. in reality, the rare blood types are abducted much more than the non-rare blood types. Meaning the RH negatives are abducted on a magnitude much larger than the positives, even though positives make up 85% of the blood types. That's what nobody realizes. Right now on planet Earth, all the RH positives make up 85%. The RH negatives only make up 15% of the world's blood types, but yet make up over 70% of the contactees. Wow. So there's, there, there's, there's a, there's a definitely a reason for it. And that, and they found out recently and other things that, uh, some of the negative traits are a little different. And, uh, well, it's a, it's a mutation. RH negative is a, is a mutation. It just popped out of nowhere 25,000 years ago. There was no negative before that. Really? I mean, even science, yeah. Even science doesn't know where this came from. 
uh, it was a mutation that came along, and it's at the same time green eyes came along. It's another mutation. Uh, green eyes and O negative blood, and, and, and it's like O negative is a universal donor. There was no universal donor before O negative, but all of a sudden, we've now got a blood type that everybody on the planet can use. Isn't that just weird? Even science is like, you know, because we're dealing with three doctors with this case, and they're all like, Ooh. and when I start thinking of aliens, you know, because, you know, professionals are, they're like, oh, wait a minute, you're saying oh, alien. I'm like, well, I'm like, give me a better explanation, doc. Uh, After this you know, show, I'm going to grab at my medical files and take a look and find out what my blood is. <laughs> I can't believe I don't know. Well, you know, somebody just wrote in, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive and I'm a contactee. Well, yes, you are. We're not saying because you're positive you're not a contactee. Right, right. right. Yeah. But you know what? You're right. We look at patterns. It's really yeah. a matter. Matter of, I mean, you get a lot of information, and that's why, like, I do work on a lot of, I've uh, done a lot of legal database and taking in a lot of information and correlating it to each other, and it, that is an interesting thing. So I love dealing with percentages. So when you say 70% of the contactees that uh, we're aware of have this certain type of blood, that's significant. Yeah, that definitely weird, doesn't yeah. say everything, but it is significant. Those are the things that, that's the stuff I like to look at. Yeah, well, we got a lot of that stuff, like uh, the uh, November just finished the personality uh, quiz. That was There was some rather interesting findings come out of that. She's in the middle of the reptilian questionnaire right now. The great questionnaire is up, but since she put it up, another like 200 great contactees have wrote in. So uh, that stuff you'd love. You have to get you involved with it. I mean, we got stuff like that laying all over the place. We're in the middle of like... Ten different studies right now that we're we're trying to do something no one's ever done. Well, first off, we've already cataloged more contactees than all the researchers combined out there. Secondly, we're taking all the data, all the commonalities between them all, so we've got abduction criteria. And then on top of that, we're, we're correlating against uh, what type of ships are being seen with the reptilians, the greys, the humans, you know, light beings, whatever it may be. Uh, against what type of abductions are going on, whether good, bad, in between, what you might expect at 5, at 10, at 12, at 20, at 30, at 40. Yeah, I cause a much different beast than anything before. <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's a whole different world. But now, anyway, getting back to what we were talking about, oh, wait, where are we out of here time? I wish I got a few minutes before the break. Uh, after the break, uh, maybe I'll open up the phone lines, maybe I won't. We'll, we'll see uh, where Nick and I are. We'll get back after the break. Now, before we go to the break now, the next, the next thing, the next conscious, conscious, all right, I just can't speak tonight. The next conscious experience you had after that one, how long apart? Five years, ten years, twenty years? Oh, heavens no. Oh, my goodness, no. Um, no, I, I've, those first few years were very prolific. And, um, boy. I, I've had, uh, when I was in, living in um, New Mexico, within the next six months, I had uh, several intense experiences after that. One of them where I actually lost time, um, like an hour and a half. That was my first experience of losing time. And, uh, and I was on a road, a lonely road. And uh, came back, in the, uh, and when I came back, I was placed on an entirely different road, facing an entirely different direction. So I, I would say my, my throughout these years, particularly, um, you know, I would say the first 15 years, I would say I like percentages again. So I break the types of contacts down into about four different types. The, the most, um, you know, uh, 
the, the top of that being the fully conscious. And I would say that my fully conscious contacts are probably maybe 8 to 10% of what experiences I've had, which is still quite a bit because I record That's everything. That's quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. It's, That's it's a lot of information. A, yes, it's a tremendous uh, amount of information. I, I, don't, I don't think most people realize that how much... You know, I was having this conversation with Jim Sparks about um, how much information, how much time. You know, I don't, I don't think most people who are listening to us understand how much in, in information you can gather uh, with an hour of conscious or five hours, whatever. And then I don't think most of them realize how much time that we don't remember, how much time is gone that none of us even remember of that. We, Jim and I were talking about because he was telling me about 90% recollect, recollection. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's great when you remember that much stuff coming back. And then we got to talking about how many hours you know, actually physically being taken. So, like he says, he remembers 90% of what he remembers, but then anything else he doesn't, he doesn't remember, you know, and that's, that's just the way that works, unfortunately, for all of us. Uh, I don't know what it is, Nadine, why they don't want to tell us everything, you know. Or maybe they do and they just wipe it out because we freak. <laughs> that might be what it is right well, there. Well, or maybe they just don't care about how we perceive yeah. it or relate to it or anything because, again, back which to the is, fact that is. it's their agenda, not ours. Yeah, they don't need to which tell is, us. That's a good point, yeah. And they really don't. You know, they, they, you know, with the greys, I notice more so than the other two species, they, they tend to be, uh, it's not that they don't have emotions, they just tend to be really, really standoffish. Like, look, you know, I'm sorry, we gotta do this, I don't wanna be doing this anymore, and you want this being done to you. <laughs> but right. it's gonna happen. Well, so the feeling it. about the greys is strictly automaton. I get the yeah. feeling that they are some, I've always had the feeling that they are just sort of a programmed race that are uh, just sort well, of going along as they're directed with very little volition of their own and also some kind of unified connection amongst them. Well, there is, well, there's nine varieties of greys. That's the trick, the thing about it is. A lot of people mistake them for other aliens, but there's actually nine types of greys. And yet, I, the way you're saying it, they're all, they're, they're, yeah, they're all, they're all interconnected. Well, we found out the hard way, first off, there's the two types of the three-foot grays or three-and-a-half-foot grays. There's one really? that's, uh, yeah, there's, there's one that's kind of, um, I'd like to call him a cyborg. He's like part gray, part machine. He doesn't look like a machine, but he acts like one. Right. There's another one that's much more, much more um, just alive. Then there's the five- to six-foot ones. Sometimes they're gray, sometimes they're brown, sometimes they're white. Then there's the seven-foot ones. These are all, they all look pretty much the same. They're just difference in height and a little bit difference in wow. size and, and and there's three or four different colors. So and then we found out about the blue plasma when, when the grays are feeding, sometimes they may look like a cobalt bluish gray and sometimes they may look almost translucent because the less food they have the clearer their skin becomes. These are things we just found from repetition asking contact these these right. same questions over and over and over and over. And it's 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 weird. I mean uh, so it's, it's kind of strange. So then they seem to be, and I can't prove this, mind y'all, ladies and gentlemen, but the greys seem to a answer directly to the light beings. They don't, because I noticed something in some of my own personal contacts and some recent contacts we've been talking to with some reptilians and humans. Uh, when the five or six foot greys are around and the seven foot greys, all the other aliens give way, including the government. No one gets in their way. Everybody, like, kind of bows their head and moves back. Uh, so apparently they're 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 much more in control than we realize. Yeah, uh, the reptilians call them the peacekeepers, uh, for lack of a better term. Because from what I hear, the reptilians and humans can't stand each other. 
Um, so maybe that's what they are uh, in reality. But then, see, that's what gets so confusing because the little three-foot graves, when you're dealing with them, it's like you're dealing with some kind of just unsentient whatever. Um, they just they don't seem to be very... I don't know how to explain it. They're not very present. They're not very present, but they don't even really seem to have any personality or anything else. They just seem to be there, I guess is what I was trying to say. And isn't it odd that we can recognize if they're male or female? Yeah, that is, because you can personality-wise, you can tell when they're in your head. There's a, I don't, I don't want to say a softness. I don't know what it is, but you can tell. Mm-hmm. You, you can, you, mm-hmm. you can tell between the two. But anyway, we're going to stop right here. That's a good cutoff point. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in about 10 minutes. Nadine and I are going to go take a quick break. Y'all hang out, listen to some music, get some coffee, get a Coke, whatever. Uh, we'll be back in 10 minutes, so please stay tuned. You're listening to UFO Undercover with your host, Joe Montaldo, right here on the Paranormal Radio Network. Had some sort of loud verbal display challenging ET in general out oh, in the yeah. middle of nowhere. That's what I was doing. I actually had a uh, pistol in my hand at the time. Um, I was really ticked off when I was having this fit. I had I was waving the gun in the air. Okay, and I had this fit. And at this moment, I said, "Okay." Welcome to UFO Undercover with your host, Joe Montaldo.
Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to U.S. on the Cover. Like Natasha says, I am your host, Joe Montalva. Our guest tonight is Nadine Malich, and uh, i got to say she's been fantastic already tonight, even though I keep butchering her name, even though she told me how to say it right. I keep messing it up. Hey, I got one. I up. This is one thing you'll learn about me over all the rest of you followers, regardless of what it is I make a mistake, I take credit for it. Um, you know, because look, I'm, I'm only human. I'm going to mess up from time to time. Actually, ladies and gentlemen, Nadine and I were talking just before we came back live. We were talking about NILADS and why the government may, may or may not need to take, you know, NILADS. I mean, for the for the general listener, what do y'all think it is? I mean, why do you think they're snatching people like Nadine? Or why do you think they're snatching uh, other contactees uh, for the information? I mean, if they knew everything, they sure wouldn't need to pick us up. They could just leave us alone and stop aggravating the hell out of us. So. I don't know. What do you think, Nadine? I mean, we know it's some kind of information they're after. We know that the contactees such as yourself that are, are having more recall are the people they're after. I mean, that's who they want to talk to. So I can only conclude that they're looking for answers, just like we are. Well, I, you know, where better to get information? Now, I'm sure that different branches of the government have the no, ability... To um, they employ certain types of techniques to be able to access our um, our neural pathways in our brain. We know that it's been a, a long time that the government has employed different kinds of techniques, uh, mind altering, mind bending techniques to uh, either gather information from someone or to promote. Um, some kind of information into a person. So it's not a strange concept that they would that they can do that, that they could they could also abduct us and they could try to get information from us. But when you think about it, especially those of us that really are are um, committed and becoming more skillful at retaining contact information when we have these experiences, I mean we're going to see things and we're going to see things, say, for example, in the inside of a craft. We're going to see technology. Um, we may or may not be able to ascertain motives and agendas of off-planet beings. Um, so it would really, it, I mean, I just really think it makes a lot of sense, you know. Um, a lot of times, you know, our military, uh, if it's particularly military involvement, they're thinking they go slam it, bam, you know, they're going to go head head to something. But this is not a situation where you could, I can't even imagine, even if the government or various governments on the planet is indeed in conscious contact with various races or some races uh, in some manner, they're still only going to be able to get limited information. Still, because they're made up the way that we are. They have the same physiological building uh, makeup that we have as experiencers. That's what military, that's what the government has. We're all human beings here dealing with these off-planet life um, beings. We're, we all have limitations. In other words, the point I'm making is that, say that there's certain branches of government and military that are involved in a direct cooperative measure, supposedly, with uh, an off-planet species. They still are going to have some measure of, you know, um, question about whether or not they're being altered in their contact. What's to say they can't be altered to some extent? 
So they're not going to get any the absolute scoop. They're going to be subjected to certain measures just like I am or you are as a contactee and abductee. So they're going to still want to gather as much information and correlate it as possible. Um, and especially from those of us who don't have any any particular agenda who are being abducted and contacted, um, you know, we're going to maybe be a more pure source of information because we're not coloring it with our own you know, our own needs or agenda when we have these contacts. Well, but the more well, information, the better. Well, here's one for you. This was somebody wrote in to me. It's a true statement, but it's kind of funny the way they worded it. They wanted to know how come Billy Myers and um, all of the peace, love, and light of Turian contactees aren't being nowhere. I can't say that on the air, guys, because this is a G-rated show, and I'll get in trouble. So I'm going to leave that alone. Well... <laughs> Nadine can answer you. I've got to be high quiet now. Well, I'll tell you. First of all, I believe in only speaking from your own personal experience, okay? So, yeah, I mean, that I know. That I can definitely stand up and qualify. Um, You know, it was an interesting experience because when, when Barbara and I wrote the book, Alien Experiences, she has dealt with a lot of um, experiencers, contactees, abductees that have had friendly contacts, that have had contacts with Nordics or uh, various other races that they believe are very spiritually enlightened and want to spiritually enlighten the population of the planet. And it's taken me a while, but I've come to the place of, okay, that's, that's very possible. Why they didn't take me, I don't know. <laughs> I would have much rather gone down that aisle. Um, so what I've come to understand is that obviously there's many races that have been in contact with the planet, in, in contact with humans and abducting humans over a long period of time. Uh, just as on this planet, if you were to you were to go across our planet, you're going to find all these different countries. All these countries, the population of different countries, the different governments, they all have their own agenda. They all have their own, you know, each culture has a different perspective within humanity of the way that they look at things. It's pretty amazing how different one particular culture can be in comparison to another on this planet. So it makes sense to me that if we're dealing with multiple races that come from other dimensions, other off-planet sites, they come here, they're all going to have their own agendas. And so yeah, therefore, uh, yeah, so so those that I have personally experienced, seven, um, I can say that there was just one of them, only one of them, that did not appear threatening or have a particular agenda, and it was only a one-time encounter that I had. But I do believe now, and I've come to accept the fact that, um, you know, there are some races that have entirely different, entirely different agendas that may be for the enlightenment of the planet. I just don't have any experience of that at all. Uh, for, for the, so the enlightened people, y'all. Right, and mine would be, you know, why would my labs want to be, you know, why would the government be interested in dealing with people who say, oh, it's wonderful, it's great, it's terrific. That's not what they're looking at. They're looking at those of us who are, who believe that they're going to be among us, or they are among us now. They're looking at those of us who are having contacts that say, wait a minute, 
I've seen I've seen a reptilian species that is apparently very aggressive and a warrior. So they're gonna the, the government branches of the government, if they're involved in this indeed, would certainly be more interested in what we would have to say than what say somebody that is being you know, their contact brings greater spiritual enlightenment. You know the government is gonna be looking for conflict, for potential conflict, for potential disturbances on the planet, and so they're gonna go for us. That's how it seems to me. Well, it's it, it's strange. I mean, it's always been strange to me when, when people bring those kind of contacts up to me because really, for me, I, I look at it from an evidence and a proof standard and, and, and really there's not much in the way of that. And, and I've said this 100,000 times. For the peace, love, and lighters, just look at the planet, people. I mean, it don't take much to look around and say, well, hell, what kind of enlightenment is this? These aliens need to get off the crack if they consider this enlightenment, by the way. See, I can be kind of mean about that. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, it's, you know, like I said earlier, I judge the aliens by their actions, just like I judge people by their actions. Yes, uh, and yes. so far their actions are not what I would consider, uh, well, we'll just say they're not honorable and leave it at that. <laughs> Even in the well, I agree with you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you, no matter what, you know, if these contacts are not invited, and these contacts by any any species, with humanity, any of these contacts are forced upon us against our will without even giving us the opportunity for consent. They're wrong. Yeah, they are, 100%. Oh. They're and I all my friends that, yeah, All my friends that write me about the good contacts, I said, did they call you on the phone and say, hey, hey, Bob, I'm going to come pick you up today. I'm going to take you a swing around the galaxy. We're going to chit-chat. I'm going to introduce some other ETs. I'm going to drop you off. I said, did that happen? Well, no, but the experience was great. I said, but well, wait, they just came and took you without asking. They took your kids without asking. They took your wife without asking. I said, you know, that's illegal in this country. I mean, we put people in prison for doing that. Uh, start, right. That's enough to start a war between two countries, and I'm thinking, it's not acceptable. You know, regardless if, if, I, if I find myself in a keeper role or a communicator role with the ETs or not, I'm still griping that they're taking me against my world, even though these days I know when they're coming. You know, exactly. I know well in advance when they're coming, but still, they're not calling me on the phone. That and is amazing. Isn't it when you can tell that they're coming? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still freaks me out, by the way. But, um, you know, that that's that's just one of those things. Now, I, I mean, we've been seeing questions coming in all over the place. Let me see. We're going to jump back a few of them here. Let's see. Uh, this one came in from Sandman. It's about, uh, uh, they want to know, it said, can we wake ourselves up during the contact, and why are some people picked up so much more than others? Well, that's a good question, Sandman. What do you think, Amy? All right. The first part of the question was again. The was can you can contact wake themselves up doing the uh, the contact? You know, shake like shake themselves away. Um, all right. Know, or drag themselves. So out I, of think, I think I think it takes a tremendous amount. First of all, you've got to conquer your fear. That's a big. The fear one. is can be immobilizing. I had an experience where I was absolutely certain. That I even asked for it. I can stay awake. I can be present for this. I'm ready to be present. And then when I yeah, had right. a, a totally present experience a few days after that, I was not ready. So I think it takes really. You have to really be in control of your emotional state. Um, but I've never. I cannot tell you that I've had control once it started. For me, what happens is that. I tend to be aware and alert in the beginning. And so in the very beginning, I, what I, the, only ex, the only way that I could exercise my personal power here was to fight becoming unconscious 
and going into that altered state. I would fight it, and that's where I've had my success. I have been able to maintain a higher degree of consciousness and awake alertness for a longer period of time as the event begins. Then sometimes, it seems, during the event, there's a spontaneous moment where I can wake up out of it. I don't feel that I have control in the middle of it, but then I can. I, I will sometimes, maybe because they're exercising less control over me at that moment, so I awaken a little more to my surroundings. But basically, my greatest control comes in the beginning in being able to hold on longer before I surrender into the altered state. Um, that's what happens for me. Well, no, that, that, that actually makes sense. I've heard other people describe it that way as well. You know, anytime I, I talk to anybody like yourself that, that does have conscious recollection on a regular basis, because, you know, most contactees, it's, it's, it's a battle to get information out of them. I mean, it's, it's talk, talk, talk to get five minutes of anything, and half the time you end up having to use some form of therapy, uh, regardless what it is, you know, to get some kind of, to, to, to get some information. And for me, that, that, that's more of a waste of time than anything else, because I found over the years, even with all that effort, you get very little information, and a lot of times what you get is really not usable. Uh, so mm-hmm. for me, it's a, and for me and most researchers, it's important to find the communicators, the keepers. Uh, the communicators are people that, that are out there communicating ET. Now, they're not, they're not so much communicating for ET as they are just communicating about ET and what's going on in their personal lives. Some of them are, are, are more pro than against. It, it just depends. And then there's the keepers, and the keepers seem to be, in a way, they work with the aliens. It's, it's somewhere along the line, <clears throat> these people have decided uh, to get whatever it is that they're looking for, whatever answers they're looking for. They help them with the hybrid children. They help them when people come on board. They help with the younger contactees when they're on board. That's why a lot of times children talk about seeing grandparents and stuff on board ship. That's why, because they did. They seen grandmama. She was one of the keepers. Um, and it's, it's one of these weird things that we hear about a lot uh, inside of those ships. So we, we know these kind of things going on. We know the government's interested in those people, the ones that are out talking about it and the ones that seem to have some kind of working understanding with E.T. But even then, even with all those people, the information is still finite. It's still limited. I shouldn't say finite. It's just limited. Um, it's, it's, it's just, there's a lot, but then there's a lot that you got to go, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> what is all of this? And how come is it that every contactee sees a different end than every other contactee? That makes me crazy. What do you think? I mean, what way? I, I, well, you know, when you when you hear contactees talk about what they think is coming, future-wise. Oh, right, right, right. Everyone is different. It doesn't matter who it is. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's it's just in between, but everyone, it's enough to make me crazy. i, I got to be honest really? with you, because, well, because, you know, i got all this baseline stuff. You know, in other words, meaning like, I know particular contacts happen in particular age groups. We know that from puberty up to about age 28, most of the breeding experiments and most of the stuff right. where they're pushing your, your limitations are done. That's why most of that stuff isn't ever remembered. That's why we also tell contactees you don't want to remember that. But we also know going into the 30s, contact changes. In the 40s, contact changes. We become more self-aware. We understand more of what the aliens are doing. We become more conscious of the programs, the people around us, the other people involved in the programs. We just simply are becoming more conscious along the lines here. So, you know, all of that seems to be common. But then when you start asking, what do you think? 
oh, no. And then it's a whole other thing, which tells me right up to that, E.T. lies pretty damn good, to be honest with you. Um, because some of these things that people are coming up with, I'm like, where are they getting this from? You know, and I ask them, you know, well, I'm a researcher, so I ask them. I don't, mine has been consistent. Uh, as to what I've, I've seen repeatedly and been what has been alluded to me repeatedly. Um, and you're right. When the fact that they orchestrate various scenarios, that they have a way of tampering with our our um, memory and our neural processes to uh, you know coerce us or make us believe something is happening, it makes you very skeptical. It really does. But, you know, I think also when you, if you pay attention for a long time to this and you really, like I have, you really pay attention, I start to believe, I start to be able to differentiate between what I think is really going on and what they want me to believe is going on. And I am more able now to be able to discern the difference. Yeah, because you realize there was a difference. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just said because you realize there was a difference. Most contactees don't. I, I was, that was, I, I was supposed to be in my head. Go ahead and finish what you were saying. Uh, no, uh, no, I, I, well, you know, I, and, and so what I'm talking about is say a scenario is set up where they're, they're creating during a contact a situation and, you know, because they're so obsessed with our emotional makeup and trying to, uh, they covet it, however it is that they do, and they're so yeah. obsessed with it, they create these scenarios for us where they're, they, they create where these, these situations where they want us to believe that we're seeing somebody who's passed on or seeing an ex-love or a child or a this or a that. What I notice over time is I can tell the difference very quickly now. I'm able to see the difference between that and those rare moments when I believe I'm really getting real information from them that they want me to see. And the only reason they want me to see that is because they want me to play a part that will serve them when that real thing happens. That's true. Otherwise, they will play that. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead finish what you're saying. Uh, um, It was just when you said that because I've heard it before. Go ahead and finish what you're saying. I didn't didn't mean to interrupt you. That's that's twice. For some reason, my brain is... Is my brain is not thinking in quiet mode. I'm just saying it instead of just thinking it. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's one of them damn habits when I'm talking to contactees. It's, it's, it's almost like an empathic, telepathic thing. It's, 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 mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a bad habit when I'm talking to contactees. I need to break. Because uh, i got to remember we're doing interviews and, and people are going, what is, why does he keep doing this? <laughs> Tell people, I know it's coming out of her mouth half time before she says it. That's why. <laughs> Uh, but only because I've heard this or experienced it myself. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, well, it was like when you were talking about, see, to me it's important that, that you brought up the fact that you realized there was a difference. Most contactees don't realize that most of what they're being told or shown is garbage. And, and they're not, ah. and I think, I think ET does this intentionally to, well, basically just separate the chaff from the wheat. I, I really think that's what it's about. I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're going, well, look. She figured it out. Well, that idiot over there didn't. We'll just let them think that they're at the second coming, whatever. They can go on. We don't, we don't really care if that's what they want to think. Fine, you know. Um, so I really do think that's what E.T. is looking for. They're looking for the people who can discern between what's really going on and what all the rest of the garbage is. And i got to be, when you said that about um, the event coming or really event coming, you know, it's one of the things with the core groups we work with. You know, they really do think there is something coming, and they do think there's a a large group of contactees that will be here to serve a specific purpose. Um, 
which you know I'm not going to get in tonight, but uh, they they do. It's it's a it's a big group, and I'm really surprised uh, when I hear other people talk about it because it's a uh, they call them core groups because they're 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 groups of contactees that tend to cling together, whose ideas, thoughts, and designs are really 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 close together, uh, like that group of the 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 Holocaust group. Um, Mm-hmm. And they make up. They make almost a full third of contactees up, and it's a bad term, Holocaust, because it's not a Holocaust in what humans would consider. No. It's more like, uh, it's more like what well, maybe a culling might be a good, uh, good way of explaining it, or maybe a culling and a sharing might be a good way. I don't know, but it gets it gets really strange. But so now, you know, when I hear all these different scenarios from contactees, I'm very skeptical because, frankly, we have really good data these days. You know, so when when people come in and tell me, oh well. The, the beautiful alien came and, and brought me down and enlightened me and is enlightening the planet. And, I'm, and I really, when they say that, I always want to go, well, send them to me. I want to be enlightened by some beautiful alien. <laughs> really right. I'm really sorry. Uh, and I'm not being a smart, well, I know y'all think I'm being a smart ass, but I'm not. Are they being convinced that that is what's really good? Are they being convinced or somehow are they being controlled with, I mean, let's face it. If you believe those were all lovely, wonderful contacts, you'd be much more willing and much more cooperative. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, much more cooperative. If you had your own mind about it and it wasn't along the same, you know, wasn't along the same, you didn't have the same agenda they did, it's much more difficult to control you. So, no. And plus, you know, let's face it, none of us are comfortable with this. We don't want this to be happening. And so, you know, it's it's... It's no different with having this contact with a non-human entity. That kind of contact that is not uh, is put on you that you you have not invited is no different than say being you know a human being here being attacked by another human being, um, child abuse or being held up at gunpoint on the street. No matter what it is, they've found. I mean, studies with humanity. What happens with human beings is that you know we connect with our perpetrator. We draw alignment, emotional alignment with our perpetrator in order to make the crime that's being created against us, perpetrated against us, in order to make that crime acceptable, we actually on some level align ourselves emotionally with our victimizer. It's a real well-known human trait, and it's a survival trait. So it's not so strange to think that a lot of these that are, you know, levitating with the happy aliens, and I'm not saying it's for all of them, but there could very well be a portion of them that have, are, it, they're much more comfortable with that scenario. Yeah. And that's how they yeah. learn to live with the experience. This uh, I agree with that. Painful, difficult, challenging event to have in your life. It's, uh, and it is. And, and, and it's always why when I hear when I hear them talking about it, I'm like, well, but, you know, it's like the first time I started doing research, everybody used to tell me about these transformers and these shapeshifters. Man, I couldn't wait to meet them. And then I'm interviewing these contactees when there's a group of, I think it was 12 of them. Uh, 12, anyway, 12 or 14 of them. And there was like six, they said they were, uh, there was like six aliens present. Well, at first there was one gray present. And then there were six different uh, types of gray present. And then there were six different aliens. And I realized what was going on. Um, what they, the grays are really good at this. I'm pretty sure the humans and reptilians are pretty good at it too. What they do is, they just scan your head and they, they take a combination of what's in your head and what's in their head and that's what most humans see. Uh, I doubt most humans ever really see the real extraterrestrials because 
most humans describe the human-type aliens looking a lot like us, uh, when in fact they really don't. According to the the, the, uh, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, and the Naskins, their heads are quite a bit longer than ours are. They're narrower than ours are. Their eye colors right. are different than ours are. They're way taller than us. They've got six fingers and six toes. They're, they're a whole different species. And when you're looking at them, you can tell they're a different species. And, uh, and the problem is, is so many people are seeing both. Uh, they're seeing the ones that really look like aliens, and then they're saying, oh, no, but, but it's the same alien. They're describing the same craft and everything. So all these aliens are doing is they're just making them think that, and uh, which is which is probably cool. I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess I just don't like being lied to when it comes down to. Certainly makes everybody uh, more controllable. Actually, saying that, I think she said she's seen seven types. That's what you said earlier. Seven types, right? I just seen a question go by in a room. That's why I was asking. Seven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, um, hold on. Where this question go? Kimberly writes in from Kimberly. Where are you from? Quebec. Uh, she wants to know if you could make all this stop and go away, would you? Well, that's a question I was going to ask, Kimberly. What do you, what do you think, maybe? Well, that's an interesting question now. Um, boy, nobody's ever asked me that. If I <laughs> can make it stop question. now. Well, I think I crossed over somewhere a point of no return. I went through years of feeling absolutely traumatized and victimized by this. Then I moved to the yeah. next level of absolute anger and rage. How dare they? Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. for someone where I come from and the work that I've done. I, you know, my life has been about balance and peace and being grounded. You know, I, I'm out there contemplating many things and and have a vision for many things. But my feet are. I'm I'm very conservative. I like. I like a certain amount of, you know, um, Stability. <laughs> predictable life. But at the same time, as this has progressed, I've gone, I'm on the other side of something now, and it's a very interesting place to be. It's like, I want to know. This isn't anymore. I mean, do I, do I like the context? No. Uh, they've slowed down, to my knowledge, considerably in the last six, eight months. Um but I'm almost, I am almost deter- developed some kind of a fierce determination to gather more information. It's my way of fighting back. Would I stop it? I'm more prone at this point just to show up and see what happens. See, that's, that's my problem. If you'd have asked me that question 20 years ago, maybe 30, I'd have probably said yes. But today, I'd have to say no. Yeah, because, you know, part of, I feel responsible. I know it sounds crazy, but at this point, I've, I've met a few people now in this in, in ufology around here now, and I've met a few experiencers abductees. And I realize everybody brings, if you are willing to stand up, be a voice, and start to really look at it and talk about it, write about it, um, we are in the extreme minority. And those of us that are able to really clarify things, write about them as accurately as possible, um, the field needs us. It sounds it sounds a little um, airy fairy, but the truth is is that I've come to a place now where I feel a sense of responsibility to my fellow abductees, to humanity at large, that I realize and recognize that there is some role, some part here that I have to play in my own personal evolution as a human being and a spiritual being, that this came into my life. 
and that it it has been uh, it's become a big piece of my life, a focus of my life. And I've been very involved in all kinds of service work in my life with, you know, uh, people and animals and um, all kinds of different work I have done, you know, here on this planet in humanity. And and um, suddenly this has become something else for me. This has become a bigger calling for me uh, where here I am uh, and, you know what, I, I here I was expecting that I was going to have when I stepped out and I started talking about this at large, I was expecting that people say in the law firms, people that I know, I was expecting ridicule. I was expecting, you know, disbelief. I have been utterly and completely amazed to find how well received I have been by people that I never would have anticipated it. So everybody has something different to bring. And at this point, my my determination to unravel the mystery my desire and commitment to be of service at this stage of our humanity and however I can is probably greater than my fear of continued abduction. And I feel the need to report for whatever it's worth. No, that's a good thing. If, if you ever hear the intro song for this show, you'll know how I feel about that. <laughs> they, they, right. they wrote a song about, it's called Six Gun Jet. They wrote a song about one of my experiences when I went out and, to a place where we, there was lots of content. I had an absolute hissy fit. <laughs> I, was, I was hot. I had enough. That even says it in the song. It's, I had enough. I, I, I wanted some kind of closure. I was certain things I wanted to know. I, I was just refusing to do anything else. It was one of those disaster nights, but it was it was a it was an insane night itself. I got a show coming up where I'm gonna be interviewed. I'll actually probably uh, talk about the experience itself, but it was uh, it was rather interesting to say. I just got mad. I had enough of it, and I really wanted to know my. I mean, I'd been in the field at that time twenty years, and I'd been uh-huh. knowing my own experiences for like fourteen of those years. So I, I was hot. <laughs> I wanted something. I, I wanted to know some answers. And, uh, you know, it's like I, anything. I I, after a while, you know, you, it takes you. And now now you're at the helm of it. And now I'm not a victim anymore. I refuse to think in terms of being a victim. I may not be able to stop this experience, but now, you know, I certainly don't look at it as anything good. But at this point, I feel like I am one of the, the people who is on the forefront of something. You know, I'm not being subjected to it as a victim anymore. Now I'm on the forefront. I didn't choose to be here, but this is where I'm at. So what am I going to do with it? I'm going to try to bring greater awareness to the whole subject matter if I can. I'm going to be one of those who's willing to be an information gatherer and start to find out what's going on. You know, well, and, so, and that's what you need to be. I mean, that, that that's what needs to, you know, all the contactees need to be like that. Um, right. You need to get out but there I and think, you pay more attention. See, that's one of the things I realized, though, is that when you, you know, I think that's the next step for me. I'm working on another book right now. I think the next step for me is assisting other experiencers by sharing my experience of transformation in this thing, how how I went from being a victim to being an an absolute assertive um, gatherer of information, researcher, I want to delve into this mystery in every way that I can, how I've strengthened myself and preparing myself for more and more awareness and more contact. And, you know, I think there's, you know, having come to the place where I'm not afraid anymore is an amazing place to be not afraid after having been utterly terrified for so many years. 
um, so I think there's a lot of people that continue to wake up to this event in their life, and I think they need support, and they need a support system. So I think that's going to be part of what my work will be down the line in helping um, uh, encourage and support those people. That, that's, that's, well, see, that's what I started as was a support. Our goal originally was to bring abduction research into ufology. Of course, it was kicking and screaming, but still. Uh, I used to beat Stephen Bassett over the head with it. Richard. Anybody would listen to Richard Dole and Stan Friedman, Kathleen Maldred. Come on, I had the, the courage to rewrite the Betty and Barney Hill case. I, I wasn't going to let this go. And at first, they tried to ignore me. They really did. But I got a really big mouth and I got a big radio station, and you're not going to ignore me for long. Uh, so we've been forcing our way in. And, and by setting up that support group initially, that's where we meet our contact. We keep. Right now, it's open right now. We keep a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week support group online open for any contact you that want to talk any time. And there's almost always somebody in there. Well, the radio station room stays open 24 hours a day, and the iCar room stays open 24 hours a day. Now, you're going to usually find more people in the radio room because they're listening to the radio, but Sundays, Thursdays, other days when we're doing support groups, no, you can find them in their chat. And, that, and that's really what it's for. It's it's a place for people to talk safely and not be ridiculed and not be attacked. Uh, and if they want to make a report, fine. If they don't want to make a report, fine too. Uh, it's it's not exactly. a big deal, you know. And as far as we prefer that people don't give us anonymous information because we would rather have the information because it makes it more credible. But absolutely, uh, we do accept them. I mean, we do accept anonymous reports, but it's just it goes into the pile of anonymous reports. I mean, because that's what it is. And you know, if it correlates with some other stuff, it'll get used. If not, it'll be... You know, there's a lot of stuff we get that sits there because there's not a place for it. It's an oddball. Right. Or it's an oddity. And we're keeping it just on the outside, like Charles Hall's Tall Whites. Until him, I had never heard of the Tall Whites. And when I met him, I told Charles, I'm like, I don't know, Charles, maybe you were programmed by the government. You know, maybe that's what it was, some kind of experiment. But then out of the blue, I had two state troopers contact me out of Las Vegas who had seen these guys in the casinos when they were working details. So now there was, there was uh, and then there was three cab drivers that came in that drove these guys around. So uh, then there was five correlating reports. So, you know, it, it, it always makes a difference. But right. I'm still skeptical. For me, I'm going to be totally honest with everybody. For me, there's the reptilians, the grays, the humans, the light beams, and the brown guys, the little ones they say that eat you. Uh, those five type aliens there is solid, tangible proof for for them and their spaceship. Uh, the rest of them, it, it happens to be who you're there with, what you're doing with, and, and what they may be doing with you. Uh, but those are the ones we know for a fact that abduct in large masses. We, we know that because it's just from the contact. All the rest of them, God only knows what they're doing. You know? uh, and from the, from the way the Graves explain it, there, there is a limited amount of, that they let come to the planet. They don't, it's not just an open policy. They're not just letting everybody in their mama come visit Earth. Uh, there is a limit to what they'll allow here and what type of aliens they'll allow here. Because frankly, some of their races aren't ready for us, just like we're not ready for them. And um, some of them, I mean, some of them probably aren't as advanced or as good at hiding things as these races are. And come on, right. we're already busting these guys out, you know. So if you get somebody here at swapping, that's another reason you can you can limit. I know everybody wants to think there's 56 and 60 types, but you can really limit the types by the spacecraft and by the overall, um, you can really limit it. So, but then people make mistakes, too, because we know, like, with the grave, 
There's nine varieties of graves. There's like six varieties of human. There's like 11 varieties of reptilian, which all of them are amphibians anyway. Um, so, I mean, this, this is all stuff that right there, just between those three species, there's 20-something types. So I can see why a lot of people think there's more aliens than there actually is. And then there's some other types that interact with these guys. Sometimes we're present, sometimes we're not. I have no idea what that is, maybe why. Sometimes we're allowed to see it and sometimes we're not, like the light beam. I don't know why some people are allowed to see them and some aren't. You know, you, right. And you just got to, and then the damn light beams can take any shape they want, so you don't even know what the hell you're looking at half the time. Uh, that's another thing that drives me crazy. Between the light beams and the rest of them, their telepathic abilities, you, you always got you wondering, what is it you're actually Well, doing? I think uh, I think it's a good thing to be skeptical. To question your own self, to question your senses all the time, and to correlate, like you said, going back into the journal, being able to look at what you wrote last month, last year, and to be able to really, you know, that is the only way by continuing to record your information in as much detail as possible that you can come up with a, you know, a general overall view of what's going on. You can't, not one piece of information or one story or one recollection is not going to tell the story. It has got sure. to be a um, a collection moving in a certain direction. And, and that's I question myself all the time. Well, no, that's the best way to do it. I do it. I, I, see, for me, I, I have to do two things. I have to question myself all the time, and then I have to shut my own self off when I'm doing research on other people so that what I'm thinking is not interfering with what I'm thinking about their case. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Because a lot of times their that's cases the are relevant to mine. Yeah, you know, so... <laughs> exactly, and it's important not to, uh, you know, one of the things that I realized I think was very important uh, for me, a very important aspect of my continuing to move through this territory was um, realizing that I did not have to come to an absolute conclusion about anything. Yep. That I'm slowly but surely pondering and considering information, experiences, and slowly but surely developing a hypothesis about what I believe may be going on, who's here, what the intention is. It's a slow process. It's not something you can come to terms with immediately. Um, And so that I like that because what that allows me to do is rather than coming coming to any kind of conclusion, uh, which I believe is foolish because not only are we having our senses altered as experiences, you know, during these experiences, um, there's a variety of experiences. People are having experiences that I'm not having. So it's much better for me to maintain an open mind um, and to just continue to collect the information, process, look at patterns, look at percentages, I don't know if in my lifetime I'll come to an absolute conclusion about what I'm certain is going on. No, I don't know if there is certain. any absolutes in this. But, no, uh, but what I am certain is is that I absolutely do believe they are among us now. Oh yeah, I believe yeah, they are all planet, and I absolutely believe it now. And just having there are so there are some absolutes for me now that I believe. Because some stuff is fact now. I mean, you can't get away from from some of the facts. See, somebody asked me one time, "Do you believe in aliens?" Well, my answer is always no, because for me it's not about belief anymore. I've seen them up close and personal enough times that it ain't belief. Look, I, I was there. I know I was there. There's no if and the buts. I was there, so it's a fact. Right. In my mind, it's a fact. Um, you know that you know. Get, yeah, if people get mad at me sometimes about it. Well, it's true. I said this is not religion. We're not talking about God. I believe in God. E.T. I know E.T. exists. I know E.T. is visiting the planet because of research and personal experiences. 
I know this I, just like I know I'm sitting here drinking a Coke talking to Nadine on the phone. So there's no difference in my reality. So the reference went, of course, yes, there is, because they haven't had this experience, and they're all looking at me going, or looking at you going, mm-hmm. And uh, are they going to babysit my children? I don't think so. <laughs> it's just... Right. And then it scares me because when I, when I think about some of the upcoming stuff that I've heard about or been involved with or talked to other contactees that have talked about, I get a little worried for what I would like to call the everyday people. Um, I, I, I just got the worst feeling that it's not going to end well for them. Um, it just, just, just well, if feeling. you're not prepared. But if you're not prepared, the problem well, is it's with, with any kind of... Uh, catastrophe of any kind, any magnitude. What happened down in New Orleans? What's you know? What's just happened in Japan? What could ha- very well happen here soon in California? You know, if we just look at what's happening with our weather alone on the planet, and you're not prepared, if you've got information but you don't want to look at it or consider it, you know, if you're not prepared, I mean, that's a big part of it. We already know the planetary conditions. Anybody that they've got their head in the sand, maybe not, but I mean, any average person just turning the news, and even the limited amount of truth they give us on the television or the radio, the limited amount we get from, you know, the basic news still tells us that we're in times of crisis and that doesn't make sense. Let's prepare. Let's think ahead. Let's create some, you know, plans, some, some different avenues to consider for our lifestyle, for um, alternative lifestyle. I mean, I just came back from, actually, I spent some time with um, Melinda Leslie and um, and uh, Kim Carlsberg there, and, you know, they just started their UFO uh, tour business and uh, in Sedona, and I got a chance to go out for an evening with them. They've been there just starting up, and um, I'm looking at land. I'm looking for off-grid. I'm looking for just another place to have. Um, that's my choice, you know. It's for several reasons. One of them is that, you know, there may be some things happening to where I, particularly where I live in California, and I'd like to have an alternate route, an alternate possibility. So it's planning, and I think that's yeah. that's true for yeah. any of it. Those people that don't believe this is happening, don't they don't even believe that a, an earthquake can happen, let alone the fact that we could be visited. So they're not planning for anything. Oh, so those people prefer to live their life in complete ignorance, they will be hit the hardest on all levels. Yeah, well, that's the sheeples, you know. The sheeples are going to get shaved, that's all I can say. I just, there's so many people that, that live with their head in the sand, it's not even funny. I, I, especially with the disasters that have been hitting the planet over the last five or six or seven years, I've been watching people, you know. For us, this is this this tells you the difference. Right here, ladies and gentlemen, this is an easy one for you. Katrina, for our family, was an adventure. I live in New Orleans, okay? We got up, we said the hurricane's coming. We went and spent three days in Florida. We came back. We got at our house. We moved back in. We hooked up our generators. We had the first office building up and running in the city of New Orleans and the first apartment complex our company did, me and my partner, Sam. Uh, that's a lot to boast about, guys. And you know what? We had a good time. So it's a big difference in being prepared for something and not. All those people downtown New Orleans who stayed weren't prepared for anything, yeah, they weren't prepared. They expected the government to bail them out. The first big mistake they made was relying on the government to save them. Um, you know, you, you've got to, in today's world, you've got to think about saving yourself or, or you're in deep trouble. That's right. Um, you know, we, we have a good family of survivors and we're real good at this kind of stuff. So, like I said, it was pretty easy for us. Uh, but, you well, know, that's not everybody. You know, 
But they beat you. Been great. I know we're almost out of time. Oh, uh, guys, uh, Aaron, give me give me the site a couple more times so they know where to find it. It's going to be linked on our site for another week, but uh, just so they can find you easier. And before she does that, Melinda and Kim, if y'all are listening, stop scaring the aliens in Sedona. I'm coming down here, so stop scaring them off. <laughs> Go ahead, Nadine. <laughs> yeah, you can find me at uh, alienexperiences.com. They, uh, they, I got to give them to a hard time. Uh, Melinda is really a good friend of mine, and I, I've been giving her a hard time for years. And Kim, I just like I'm to make crazy you. because of. Uh, so I, I got to spend some time with those night vision goggles, the military issue they have. Her and Kim. Mm-hmm. Man, I've never seen anything like it. This, I, I could get addicted. We went out and we spent three, about three hours out there uh, last Saturday night uh, on one of the plateaus there in the heart of Sedona. And let me tell you, the things I saw, I could not believe. Easy to rule out that. things like satellites and shooting stars, but we really saw some amazing things. Yeah, there, there, there is some really good stuff. I'm hoping, I was hoping for them they would get that new airport monitor system out there to make their jobs easy. See, here in Louisiana, there's a, a system that tracks all aircraft, all aircraft, for a 100-mile radius of the city, and it's public access. So it tells you if it's military or if it's commercial or if it's private or if it's a helicopter or if it's a damn weather balloon. It'll tell you what it is. They got that, and with the JPL, we can rule out everything in the skies in a matter of two minutes and know if something's right. not supposed to be there. And it's a really nice no, thing. It's just they're not everywhere in the country yet. But I'm going out there to torture Melinda and Ken. It's, it's, it's coming. It's a matter of time, ladies. Just know I'm coming out to Sedona. You know it's coming to, I'm coming out to cause trouble, too. Oh, I got a bunch of friends down there. I got a bunch of friends in Sedona. Uh, I'm going down and causing all kind of mischief. Uh, invite all, right. all my friends in from California. We're going to come down there and cause all kind. Well, I haven't been down there, what's it been, about four years, I think. Four or five years. It was right after Katrina we went down. Because we, uh, uh, we went up to Laughlin, actually, for the conference. And we stopped off in Sedona on our way up. And, uh, cause I wanted to see what everybody was talking about. Uh, right. I said it's really pretty there. It really is. It's a gorgeous place to live. Uh, I, I would move there, but I think I would starve to death. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm a contractor. There's not, you know, there's some building going on there, but there's not enough. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, no, not yet. When I get a little bigger, I'll have to move there. But then it might not be nice if it expands out. But if you get down there before I do, give both ladies a hug and, and tell them I said hi. You know, I'll be back both next, both week, next month. Yeah, but they're uh, they're both they're both a blast. And uh, what's your Oh, Stephen, if you're listening, I'll be bugging you soon too. <laughs> I'll be, he's, he's oh, you see, but like him, this is this is an interesting point, ladies and gentlemen. Before I let Nadine go, when I met Stephen ten years ago, eleven years ago, he did. Paula Harris too, by the way. Neither one of them wanted to entertain the idea of abduction. Matter of fact. I brought Paula on my show one day, and she told me if I brought up alien abductions again, she would quit talking to me. She quit talking to me for a whole year over this. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, and then I seen her in Roswell, and we made up, and we hugged and all. And then she started endorsing us. She was on Karen Dolan's show endorsing us as the only organization for uh, abduction research. Uh, so that was a big turnaround. But and Steve was the same way. Steve was nothing, nothing, nothing. Now Steve, you know, talking about doing experiential conferences, asked us who we could get involved. Um, you know, he's realized which most uh, most researchers should realize, if you want the truth of alien contact, if you really want to know what ET's doing here, the only place to go is to contact E. The government's not going to tell you, and I doubt they even really know, and nobody else knows but ET, so the only other place to go is to contact E. I never understood why this was so hard for researchers to understand. Uh, I right. never did understand that. You know, it, it, and they fight it tooth and nail. And I can understand some people. 
but some of these contact needs, frankly, are not. But um, in reality, there are some very expression, yes. Yeah, there are some, some excellently credible contactees in the field these days. They have, they, they're excellent speakers. They're, they have good credentials. They're clean. They're not nuts. Uh, they're living everyday lives, uh, and they're very convincing when they speak. And, and, there, and there's simply no reason for these people to be lying about this. There's no logical reason that they would be lying about this. So there are good witnesses out there. It's just, you ever notice what makes the news media or the thing? It's always the crazies. Yeah. I mean, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, they, they don't want the, the real contact people. <laughs> they are. They are the woo-woo people. And, and they don't want any credible abductees or contactees on CNN or Fox. Because, oh, well, yeah. God, if a real yeah. credible one gets out in the world can hear, wait, she's not alone. Wait a minute. Wait, oh, well, wait a minute. Y'all been telling us they're all crazy people. Wait, she's not crazy. What's going on here? They don't want that happening. We might get support. Then. But again, Nadine, you've been fantastic. I know we're running over to Kevin Smith's time now, but uh, you did a great job, and I'll be looking forward to speaking to you again. Um, any contact information, anybody want to get hold to you, where can they reach at? AlienExperiences.com. Pretty easy, guys. AlienExperiences.com. I mean, click <laughs> AlienExperiences.com. It's pretty easy. Well, no, because, I, I, you know, I have one.com. I try. I believe in... And if you want to get people to come see you, you got to be as simple as you can be because something that's oh, put in the head, you know. Yeah. You, if you start getting these big long URLs, you know, they look at you like, okay, I'm not like, typing all in that and screw that idea. <laughs> but anyway, thanks again, Nadine. You've been fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, next week, uh, Jason Wilson, uh, host of, uh, former host of Unbridged Universe, will be interviewing me about my own personal contacts. You know, I've only ever really talked about my own personal contacts like three times in ten years. Uh, and this will probably be the only time I do it for another four or five years. So any questions you have, that's the show to get him in on. Uh, uh, that's all I can tell you. I don't know where he's going to take the show because I'm just the, the guest. I'm not the host, so that's entirely up to him. Until next week, people, enjoy your lives. Hug your kid. Kiss your cat. Just, I promise you, if you smile, your face won't crack. I promise. Good night, everybody. I'll see you all next week. <laughs>